Can you give us a station ID? They'll kill me if I don't, I don't ask. I'd hate to see you killed. This is Steve Robinson, temporarily back on Earth, in Davis on KDVS 90.3. This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We have a quite a wonderful assortment of guests for you on today's program. Later in this segment, we're going to speak with... Uh, Jeffrey Callison, the host of Insight over at KXJZ. I hope that you caught uh, the wonderful write-up in the Sacramento Bee about Insight and Mr. Callison's fine work over there, and we're pleased to be able to speak with him uh, in a few minutes. In our second segment today, we're going to talk to Dr. Allison Cudere of the UC Davis Religious Studies Department about, uh, well, about a couple of things. In our third segment, we're going to talk with our own general manager, here at, uh, at KDVS, Stephen Valentino is going to take a look back uh, with me at um, the death of Hugh Thompson, the chopper pilot who was a true hero in uh, the Me Lai debacle of the Vietnam War in 1968. We have some old business and follow-ups I think we should start uh, this program with. We, uh, we do take our responsibilities seriously to give you, the listener, the straight scoop. And uh, we apparently fell down on the job on last week's program when we were taken in by a hoax originating in New Mexico that alleged that a mouse was, after being tossed into a pile of leaves, crawled back into a house in retribution and burned the owner's house to the ground. Well, we, like a lot of people, were evidently taken in by a hoax. There was a fire somewhere in, I guess, Lucerne, New Mexico. Uh, a man's house was burned to the ground, but he did not have this happen from tossing a mouse that was trapped in a, in a glue trap into the fire. The story was plausible, and apparently some of the fire authorities bought into it, at least for the time being. But, uh, you know, it did not withstand scrutiny. We did express some skepticism as to whether these, the burning hair of a mouse could alight, uh, light drapes on fire. But, uh, you know, we should have known that it, it smelled bad. We found out uh, after the show aired, uh, due to some alert readers letting us know that uh, it had already been discredited. So, um, if you were taken in, so we're sorry for that. We would uh, stand by the statement we made on last week's show, however, that uh, tossing a live mouse into a fire is indeed cruel and unusual punishment, and we would suggest that none of you do that. And we invited your input last week on the comments I made about the old Amos and Andy radio and television program. Steve sent us the following email. Someone said he believed his father was less of a racist because of watching Amos and Andy on TV. I think that was true of myself when I was a kid. We used to play hooky, structured our day so we were sure to be in front of a TV set when A&A reruns were on. We loved it. I think it was more like real life than other sitcoms. Whatever it was, we thought it was funny. 
The memory of the TV show is making me smile now. Thank you, Steve, for taking the time to uh, send us your opinion. And we're happy to report good news from the Dugway Proving Grounds in Utah, where the Stardust mission, which had been in space for seven years and traveled almost three billion miles, successfully returned to Earth with chunks of interstellar dust and pieces of a comet. It, it was a bit of a nail-biter, particularly since the previous effort to return specks of the sun crashed, uh, <laughs> crashed two years ago. Scientists had said that uh, this mission, which had been such a success up to the end, was described as well, and now it's like standing at the airport waiting for your luggage to come in on the baggage belt, hoping it's all in perfect shape. If you got up to see it, and I hope, uh, I hope you did, uh, well, I did, and... Uh, uh, you know, you were greeted with about a 30-second view of a bright orange shooting star that came down from upper left to lower right, disappearing into the horizon. Uh, where I was situated in Sacramento, a large cloud blocked about half of the passage, but it clearly was something unusual. And it was just very cool watching it just all of a sudden appear right where it was supposed to, uh, right on schedule. It turns out from our position here in Sacramento or Yolo County, it was more like a first magnitude star, not as bright as Venus. I think the people to have gotten that 90 second show where it got as bright as, uh, as the planet Venus, you needed to have been in northern uh, Nevada. But you know, I, I'm, I'm satisfied. This marks the uh, first return of, uh, of anything, any bits of material from space, really since the era of the Apollo missions, uh, the last of which, of course, in 1972. The Russians did manage to bring back some uh, lunar material without sending astronauts. Other than that, it's pretty hard to get extraterrestrial materials. The Japanese probe, the Hayabusa, is still stranded near the asteroid that it, uh, that it sort of crash-landed on to try and get a, uh, an asteroid sample. Uh, hopefully the Japanese can fix that and bring some chunks of an asteroid back to Earth as well. And in mentioning the moon, I would highly recommend, dear listener, that you go down and attend the IMAX Magnificent Desolation Walking on the Moon. I think they did a spectacular job of showing what it was like to put down on the moon in a way that uh, uh, you just you don't really appreciate from, from film and still photos. They managed to give you a 3D, uh, 3D version of what it was like for the astronauts, the 12 people who actually walked uh, and drove on the lunar surface. Please, do yourself a favor and go see that before it, uh, before it leaves. Of course, it is sort of funny that they were simulating and they were recreating the moon landing for the sake of the audience, which of course raised the issue of, hey, did, did we go at all? There's a funny sequence where they imitate to how they were doing, like, you know, a landing on the moon, take three, <laughs> where then things go wrong. <laughs> the Neil Armstrong character then falls off the lunar lander, gets suspended in space by the wires. Pretty funny. But they do a simulation where the astronauts actually walked up to the Hadley Ridge, something that apparently uh, I'd forgotten about, which was quite a little uh, canyon on the moon. And uh, boy, it, it, it really just brings it home. I can't do justice on the air, but please, please go see it. Let's move to our quotes of the day. Uh, the first comes from uh, the legendary civil rights leader, Dr. Martin Luther King, whose, day, whose birthday we celebrated earlier this week on Monday, who said simply, the time is always right to do what is right. I hope you had a chance uh, on, on Monday to reflect on, on uh, the work and life of uh, Dr. King. 
And people who remember him uh, certainly know that it's a much different United States that we now live in, thanks to the civil rights successes of Dr. King and, uh, and his followers. Our, uh, our joke of the day, and we will expect some assistance from Mr. McMillan on appropriate music, comes from Scottish funny man Billy Connolly, who, uh, courtesy of Uncle John's colossal collection of quotable quotes, defined an intellectual as someone who can listen to Rossini's William Tell Overture without thinking of the Lone Ranger. All right, we got to do the good and the bad and the ugly, and this day in history, I think we'll start with the good, the bad, and the ugly. Last week, according to The Week magazine, it was judged a good week for thinking outside the box after an Idaho lawmaker proposed that the state solve its prison overcrowding problems by requiring inmates to sleep in shifts. Why does every inmate need his own, his or her own bed? Asked State Senator Robert Geddes. The magazine conversely judged it a bad week for Walmart, which advised customers buying Planet of the Apes DVDs on the store's website that they might also enjoy, quote, similar, unquote, films on Martin Luther King Jr., boxer Jack Johnson, and singer Tina Turner. Walmart spokesman Mona Williams blamed the hurtful and offensive pairing on a malfunction in an automated system's item mapping process. We at Radio Parallax also judge it a bad week for taking responsibility. This is actually an item a couple weeks ago when Sean Penn, among others, took place in uh, an event here in, uh, in Sacramento protesting the war in Iraq during which time he was interviewed in the Sacramento Bee and blamed his inability to quit smoking on the Bush administration. (laughs) And from the ugly file, we have to have this bit of spin doctoring. Reality show star Richard Hatch, who's currently being prosecuted by the IRS for failing to report his $1 million winnings from his hit CBS show, uh, in which he basically avoided paying more than $200,000 in taxes. The spin doctrine came from Hatch's attorney, Michael Minns, who argued that he was struggling with his newfound fame after winning the contest. He was overwhelmed by false child abuse charges and was relying upon the advice of a self-employed accountant who was, quote, in over his head, unquote. Richard Hatch is not a stupid man, Min said. He's the world's worst bookkeeper, bar none. Apparently, not only did Hatch uh, fail to pay the income tax on his million dollars, he put into the IRS for a $4,500 refund that year. All right, on this date in history, in 49 B.C., January 19th, with the words, Lacta Alea Est, 
the die is cast, Julius Caesar leads his army across the Rubicon River and into civil war in Italy. Caesar, of course, did quite a bit of spin doctoring himself, writing uh, the definitive history of the wars which were conducted by General Julius Caesar. Oh, they got a good review. They, uh, they say that in war, the first casualty is the truth, and uh, you know, I guess that goes back to uh, the first century BC. Although, uh, you know, Caesar probably did give you the, the outlines of what took place. It's just that, boy, every time a decision was made, that General Caesar did a pretty doggone good job. On this date in 1937, aviator Howard Hughes flies a plane from Los Angeles to New York in 7 hours and 22 minutes, one of uh, numerous speed records uh, that were set by the eccentric billionaire. And on this date 25 years ago tomorrow, which was the date of Ronald Reagan's inauguration, just minutes after the inauguration, uh, which made Reagan the 40th President of the United States, the 52 American captives held at the U.S. Embassy in Tehran, Iran, were released, ending the 444-day Iran hostage crisis. And joining us now to talk about that uh, curious correlation of the Reagan inaugural and the release of the hostages in Iran is Barbara Honiger. She was a member of the Reagan administration and uh, was actually its first resignation of conscience and later became extremely well-known for her book, October Surprise. Here to talk to us uh, about that is Barbara Honiger. Welcome to Radio Parallax, Barbara. Thank you. Great to be here. Can you r refresh our memories uh, for those who went through it and, those, and, and, and educate those who don't know at all? What was the October Surprise? The October Surprise, as a result of my book named October Surprise, is the fact now proven, and we'll get into how we have proved it, the fact now proven that the 1980 Reagan-Bush presidential campaign cut a secret deal with the radical Islamicist Khomeini Iran that was holding our 52 hostages, cut a deal, an arms-for-hostage delay deal, in order to defeat President Carter. That was the October surprise, and it happened, and we can prove it. Well, it, it, it certainly generated a lot of interest, never quite caught fire. It certainly did. It wasn't sufficient to uh, deny uh, George Herbert Walker Bush the presidency when he ran in 1988. There were allegations made that the, re the, the administration cut a deal. How do we now know that, that that was a fact? We know it was a fact phenomenally. Uh, the most recent proof, which is the strongest proof ever, came out only two to three days before the last 2004 presidential election. And what we learned was that Bassem Abu Sharif, who was a top aide to Yasser Arafat, the head of the PLO, back in 1980, we've known for decades that Bassem Abu Sharif made a public claim back at the time of the October surprise that, the, that a very top aide to Ronald Reagan himself close enough to Reagan to have been called Ronnie by, by Reagan's wife, that this top aide to Reagan during the 1980 presidential election campaign met with Bassem Abu Sharif to try to get Yasser Arafat to put pressure on Khomeini to delay the release of the hostages. And the, 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 uh, the hostage delay deal in exchange for arms to Iran after Reagan took the oath of office, if he were elected, was the October surprise deal. Believe it or not, 
two days before the last 204 presidential election, Bassem al-Sharif went public with an international bombshell and revealed the name of the, up to that point, secret name of the individual who was so close to Ronald Reagan during the 1980 campaign who met with Bassem al-Sharif to try to pressure an October surprise deal, and he named that person. Which was? That person is John Shaheen. John Shaheen was born and raised in Dixon, Illinois, with Ronald Reagan and was a close personal friend, close enough to call him Ronnie. The only other person on earth who called Ronald Reagan Ronnie was Nancy Reagan. So we now have proof of the October surprise through the finally released name of the person who met with Bassem al-Sharif to try to cut the deal. That was just the first such meeting, but, the, but, but being the first meeting, it was the most critical one. But Barbara, how do we know for sure that Bassem Abu-Sharif, can he, can he, how can he prove that that was indeed John Sheehan? Because he has the tape proving it. He taped the meeting. Oh, really? Yes, and Bassem, what Bassem Abu-Sharif did two days before the last election was to threaten to release the tape if there weren't a Palestinian state in the near future. Well, Barbara, it was, it was alleged that it was, was Bill Casey that cut the deal. Was Casey related to, to, uh, to this man? Absolutely. In fact, John Shaheen was so close to William Casey, who and Casey was the chairman of Reagan's 1980 presidential campaign. Shaheen was so close to Casey that they served together in the OSS in World War II. Wow. Barbara Honiger, we, we have to talk about this at greater length. We don't have the time today, but I, I want you to come back on next week's show and uh, and and talk a little bit more about some of the details of of the October surprise if you if you would very well i'd be happy to all right well thank you for speaking with us today and i look i look forward to some more details on this great all right returning to the program at this point is jeffrey callison host of insight on cakes jz welcome back jeffrey it is my great pleasure to be on your terrific program. Well, I think a lot of our listeners hopefully read the Sacramento Bee, where there was a terrific write-up of, of you and the program. And uh, if, if they haven't seen it, I would draw their attention to it. Well, it just must be very gratifying for you to see such a nice write-up after 18 months of hard work on the show. <laughs> well, uh, gratifying, but, but a little nerve-wracking, too. I, uh, I woke up a little earlier than usual that morning because <laughs> you have no idea what, what's going to end up. And uh, but I was pleasantly surprised. I shouldn't say surprised. It, it was it was a pleasant experience because Sam McManus. Uh, I think he was fair and he did a lot of research. He spoke with a lot of people, and um, you know it's good publicity for the program, and that's the most important. Well, he titled it "A World of Insight." It showed the logo, and you, you're looking very thoughtful in, in the booth there, talking uh, to people on the phone. But I think when you started this 18 months ago, uh, this was kind of a new thing, doing a, exclusively local programming on, on public radio, and it looks like it's, uh, it's getting notice. Yeah, I guess in a way it was a bit of a gamble because every other program we do uh, on our station is a, is a national network show, so the standards are very high, and we have to produce on a, obviously a smaller budget than any network show does, but we know how good we want to be, and we're not there yet. But at least we have that in mind, and it keeps things interesting. I think I've heard you guys do 10 guests in an hour. Is that the record? Actually, we've done 11 uh, a couple of times. I know. Uh, it would be nice to get to that 12, you know, that, that <laughs> rhyme doesn't. 
I don't know if you realize, I, you know, a live show, 11 guests, how nerve-wracking that, that has to be. I, I guess it is, but it's important not to get too nervous because I've found that when I let myself get nervous, that's when I tighten up and then things don't go as well. So it's best to be just in complete denial about what you're doing, and it ten- tends to work out better. What, uh, what has surprised you most over the last year and a half as the show has evolved? The fact that we are able to do as much as we are with the resources that we do. We, we only have two people who work full-time on the program, and there are a couple of other people who spend a portion of the time working on it, staff members here, and we do have some terrific interns. But basically, that's not a lot of people um, working on a, on a live daily show that tries to cover a lot and uh, tries to have high standards. So I'm pleased about that. But, you know, we have good people working on the program. And I've got to say, too, the Internet just completely transforms things. I really don't know how people could do this kind of thing before the Internet. Well, I do, but you would have needed a lot more staff sure. or you needed to, to do less. But the ability with LexisNexis that we have and just, just even just plain old simple email you can reach out more, you can do more research, you can get smarter, quicker, you can find people more easily uh, using the Internet. And, and we make pretty good use of that to, to help us do the show. So that's a big surprise. Another thing that I shouldn't say that it's a big surprise, but it's a slight surprise, is how much there is for us to cover. When we were planning the show, some people used to say to us, oh, you're going to run out of stuff. You know, this is Sacramento. What's going on? There's nothing going on. And I always said, you know what, there's more going on than you think, and I believe that there's going to be plenty for us to cover. Well, there's been even more to cover, even though we do this every day, sometimes three topics a day, than we can imagine. We've got stuff piled up that we never get to, and we're still busy. And that, of course, is a good thing. It's a good reflection about our community as well as anything else. You're taking a bit of the knock that people always had on Sacramento being a boring cow town. They talk about yeah. us being the capital of the fifth largest economy in the world, and I guess yes. it's, you're now make, showing that we are. Yeah, I think that we were demoted to sixth because recently China um, overtook Britain and France, I believe, and leapfrogged into fourth or fifth place or something like that. Wow. We need to modify the, uh, the, the old cliche about Sacramento. <laughs> But at this point, interviewing uh, people at the frightful rate that, y- that you are, you- you've gone through uh, most of the notables, I think, in town. Who's on your wish list of people for the next few months? Well, of course, the, the most notable is the one who probably won't do it, and that is our, our, our fair governor. Arnold Schwarzenegger basically does very, very few interviews, and when he does do them, they're usually surprise calls that he puts into... Um, I guess you could say friendly stations. Right. And they're relatively short. But in terms of being invited onto a program, we, of course, have tried to get the governor, and it just doesn't work. We're not, I don't think we've ever been told flat out no, but it just never seems to work out. I think that would be terrific, and it would be great to do it as a remote broadcast from Arnold's cigar tent. (laughs) Maybe that would help to, to, to sway him. How about the First Lady of California? She I was t- just going to come to that, yeah. Maria Shriver. Uh, she would be very interesting, too. But she's, she's very busy. She's often not here because the kids are at school in Los Angeles. But uh, one of these days, you know, the, the, the museum that she's involved with downtown is going to be doing something that she's heavily involved in, and, and we'll be sure to pounce at that point. 
Well, uh, congratulations for your success uh, over at Insight. Insight is, is I know, largely your baby. I was I was in the hot seat when when uh, when the show had to be when we had to start work on the show, and and I did some of the research. But uh, but our senior producer Benjamin Jonas Keeling came on board. He was the the, the main hire, and uh, we were able to really create the show in, in earnest when Benjamin came on board. Well, do you think that Insight's uh, success will be imitated in various uh, similar markets across the U.S.? <laughs> Well, that would be nice to think, but we have so much to still gain and learn here that that's, that's the number one focus. I'm kind of a perfectionist, and although I always think that what I'm working on right now is pretty good, as soon as it's over and I listen to it, I, I'm never happy with it. So long as that's the case, um, that's enough to keep me busy. I'm just getting half decent at what I do. I guess a man's reach should exceed his grasp, what is the saying? Yeah. You should always be a little bit dissatisfied? Yeah, absolutely, yes. Well, Jeffrey Callison, host of Insight on KXJZ, thank you for speaking with us again, and hopefully can have you on again in the future. My pleasure. Thank you very much. And good luck with Arnold. Thank you. (laughs) Okay. Hope some of you had a chance to catch uh, the Insight interview with Paula Poundstone a little bit earlier uh, this afternoon. Let's take a break. Listening to KDVS 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento. This is Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. And did Jesus exist? An Italian court is taking up that very question, and we'll talk about that and some other interesting religious matters with Professor Allison Kudair in the segment to follow. Stay tuned. (laughs) 